Welcome everyone to Late Night Faith at Chapel Roswell. We go live in five, four, three, two. Late Night Faith at Chapel Roswell. here on this holiday weekend. Whether you're in the room or watching online at the beach or at the lake or someplace fabulous, we forgive you. But we're glad that you are with us for Late Night Faith. Over the past two weeks, we have been looking into our favorite late night personalities, searching out and finding the holiness in their humor. Two weeks ago, we went to Jimmy Kimmel and the way he uses his platform to call his viewers to social action. Eric interviewed RUMC volunteer coordinator Linda King about our role in serving in our community and in our world. And last week we laughed alongside Jimmy Fallon and talked about joy. We heard from our own community curator Jay Horton about what it means to live with the joy of the Lord every day in our lives. This morning we are going to flip the channel over to CBS and one of my favorite late night hosts, Stephen Colbert. Yay, I heard a yay. Now Stephen Colbert took over for David Letterman back in September of 2015, but he was not new to the late night scene. He'd been hosting his own show on Comedy Central, The Colbert Rapport, from 2005 to 2014. Now, he actually didn't totally host the show. He was more of a character or maybe a caricature on that show. But he really made his name known in comedy and in journalism. He even coined the phrase truthiness. Remember that one? Truthiness. Where he said that we've become much more concerned about what we feel is right instead of looking to the facts. He argued that our head and our heart have just become too far disconnected. And so he sought to engage all of his guests to really dig in and to find their truths, as well as let some of his truths be known and the truths of our world. Now, Stephen Colbert is, is an actor, a comedian, a writer, a host, and he has won a lot of awards. We're talking Emmys, Grammys, two Peabody Awards. But he's also listed on ChristianWeek.org as the number five Catholic most loved by evangelicals. Right? 
We love our Stephen Colbert as evangelicals, right? He's listed right behind St. Augustine and Pope Francis. Um, so pretty good company that he keeps. But that's one of the things that I love about Stephen Colbert is that his viewers know he is a man of faith. And whether it's in some comedy sketch where a cartoon god is talking to Oprah, or it's in a more serious debate with atheist Bill Maher, where he's laying it all out, you know that he's a man of faith, that he's not willing to compromise that faith for ratings or for his career. It's who he is. He's living his truth. Instead of being that character on the Colbert Rapport, he is Stephen. A husband, a father, and a devout Catholic. Well, before he began his run on The Late Night Show, he actually was interviewed on the Catholic television network Salt and Light. Anybody have that on their DVR? Yes? Mm -hmm. um, Salt and Light. And he was interviewed by Father Thomas Rosica about the balance that he tries to find in his faith, in his work, in his comedy, and in his life. And I want to show you a bit of that interview this morning. You'll take a look up on the screens. There's an extended interview, and I encourage you to go and look it up. It's on YouTube, as everything is, um, and check it out. But there are, really are some good little gems in just this section of what he has to say. Because I think there's a question we all struggle with, or at least I know I struggle with, is how do I live out my faith? How is this faith that I know to be true in my head and that I feel to be true in my heart, how does it get lived out? What does that look like? And he talks about this connection between, between feeling your faith and the logic that comes with it. And he goes into about St. Anselm, who is uh, a theologian and a philosopher from the 11th century. And he talks about his ontological argument that he had. And there are 13 points to it. And I'm not going to go into all of them this morning, don't worry. Um, partly for all of our sakes and partly because I can't memorize all 13 of those. Um, but he says that it's logically perfect, but completely unsatisfying. Right, that we can argue all around our faith, argue all around our beliefs. But if it's not felt, right, he says faith can't be argued, it must be felt. How do I connect all these elements of my faith? How do I take the faith of my head and the faith of my heart and let it out in the faith of my hands. Right, and this rings true for me on so many levels because I think about I could read all the books about God and about theology and about faith. I could enter into all the deep conversations. I could have all the arguments. I could even win all the arguments. But if I didn't truly feel the truths of my faith, and I believe if I didn't live those truths out each and every day of my life, then do I really even have faith? 
If what I know to be true and what I believe to be true doesn't come out in what I do and how I live, have I really embraced the truths of my faith in their fullness? Now, this is obviously not a new idea. It's not something Stephen Colbert came up with. It's not something I came up with, right? I mean, are there really ever any new ideas? There's a new Oceans movie coming out this summer, right? I mean, are there new ideas coming out? Somebody, please. Um, but we see this idea coming throughout the scriptures of what it means to embrace our faith and then to live it out. And we see it especially in the New Testament and Paul's letters to the early church. Because Paul is trying to reach out and to counsel these new believers on what it means to have faith and how that faith gets lived out. And so this morning we're going to turn to 2 Corinthians, the second letter that Paul wrote to the church in Corinth. The first letter he's really hitting them hard, getting on to them for the ways that they're acting and behaving. But in this one, he really digs in and wants them to hear what it means to live out of faith. So 2 Corinthians chapter 4, you see it up on the screens. We have the same faithful spirit as what is written in scripture. I had faith and so I spoke. We also have faith and so we also speak. We do this because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus will also raise us with Jesus. And he will bring us into his presence along with you. All these things are for your benefit. As grace increases to benefit more and more people, it will cause gratitude to increase, which results in God's glory. You see, Paul is really trying to teach these people, these people that are so new to the faith, what does it mean? How do we embrace it? And he uses a lot of logical arguments throughout his letters. But within that logic is a great passion and a great praise. Acknowledging that it requires a faith of the head and a faith of the heart and a faith of the hands. He quotes the psalmist when he says, I had faith and so I spoke. But then he takes it one step further, right? He said, we have faith and so we speak. We have a faith, all of us together. We have a faith that we live out. We have a truth that we live out and not this truthiness kind of truth. Right, where it just feels good for me and what's good for me. But it is a faith and a truth that we unite together of what is good for the world. Because God loves the world. It is a faith and a truth that is grounded in who Jesus Christ is and was and continues to be. The love of God alive in the world. The love of God alive, not meant to just say, stay stagnant in our heads or, or just something that makes us feel good in our hearts. But something that becomes a part of who we are. 
a way that we live and exist in the world. And why? Why would we do that? Why would we want to live out this faith? Why would we want to have faith and then speak it? Paul tells us, so that the grace of God may abound for all people. That God's glory may be seen from the ends of the earth. Grace upon grace, glory upon glory, giving thanks to God and living that out. What does it mean to live out our faith? A faith that we believe, that we know, a faith that is felt, that we love, and then a faith that is lived out. For our heads to speak logic to our hearts, which then speak love to our hands, which then spread that love and faith and truth of who Jesus Christ is out into the world. May grace and glory abound through it all. I'm so excited this morning because our guest today is a member of the Chapel Roswell community and he is willing to come and speak truth about his faith and of the ways that he lives it out, all the challenges that come with that and all the grace and the glory that he experiences through that. But before we get to Justin, I'm going to send it back to Arturo and the Silver Bullets as we worship together. I invite you to stand. For our guest this morning, Justin Combs is a member of our Chapel Roswell family. He is a husband, a father to two little girls. He serves on the hospitality committee here at the church. Um, and he is willing to come and be open and vulnerable and real about how he sees his faith being lived out, what the truths of his faith are, and how those are connected from his head and his heart and his hands. So will you join me in welcoming Justin Combs? Before we get started, we have to point out Justin's awesome shirt. Oh. <laughs> Dietrich you. Bonhoeffer, for anyone who can't see. So. I figured given the subject material, it was fitting. That's right. <laughs> well, good. Well, Justin, thanks so much for being here this morning. And if you will, just tell everybody a little bit about yourself and about your faith. Uh, well, the, the main conflict in my story kicked in at an early age. I was, uh, on the one hand, I was raised in a um, pretty traditional Southern Baptist church. Uh, and in the other hand, uh, I asked a lot of questions uh, as a kid. And that was top to bottom, little things, big things. Um, with a four-year-old, I'm finding out it's actually a hereditary gene, I think. <laughs> um, but it, it, was non, it was nonstop. I, I, I was saved uh, at a very young age. Uh, you know, I think I was seven years old. Um, at the time, it made sense. Um, you know, Jesus was good. Jesus was there to save us. It was, you know, it wasn't until the later years when, uh, during the five days, uh, sinners in the hands of an angry God revival that they had on a yearly basis, um, that I kind of asked questions about that. That's where it began to fall apart a little bit, like, you know, the concept of the loving God and then the fire-breathing God. Um, and, it, it, and it just kind of unraveled from there. There was, you know, uh, you know, just other things that I would ask questions about, and either 
I got no answer, um, or I got answers that just didn't, just didn't sit well with me. Uh, so I hit 15 years old, um, which with a work permit was old, old enough to get a job, uh, and I did. Uh, and I got a job that I made sure I could work on Sundays. Um, that faith was a very take it or leave it kind of philosophy, and so I left it. Um, you know, it, I kind of went through what now, you know, this is the popular term of uh, deconstructing my faith, uh, which now, you know, now it's, it's all the rage. Uh, but, but, <laughs> but back in the late 90s in the sea of WWJD bands and uh, people jamming out to DC talk, um, it, was, it, was, it was a little bit lonely. Um, so, you know, I, I, I left the church. Uh, I never really talked much about it because it was just something that, you know, every, everybody knew at the church. My whole life, you know, kind of surrounded, uh, was surrounded by that. Um, and so it's, it's just kind of a very lonely uh, road to travel for a bit. And um, you know, the questions never stopped. I still was looking for answers. I, I went to college. Uh, and wh where better to ask questions than in the philosophy department? Uh, so... <laughs> So I, got, you know, I started working on a philosophy degree at some point. I decided that uh, even though those answers weren't that great, I decided I would get a religious studies degree as well. And that's, that's really kind of where, where things took a turn, um, where I think that the kind of the reconstruction process started. Um, I was able to step outside the bubble. You know, even, even during the deconstruction process, it was, you know, I felt that I was just a bad Christian. Um, and able to kind of step outside of that and look at other faiths and look at commonalities and through the lens of a... Uh, nonpartisan kind of bystander at that point. Um, and it really made me reevaluate, um, you know, kind of what I thought about God and the different, you know, the different nuances um, that I had, you know, and that, I mean, that was a very long process. Um, you know, Sarah and I became pregnant with our first child, um, and Sarah said, we need to find a church. And I kind of dug my feet in a little bit and said, I don't know about this, I don't know about this. And, and finally, you know, God worked on my heart and said, all right, let's, let's do this. We'll give it a go. I'll sit in the pew if it makes you happy. Um, and so we, we lived in Roswell at the time. We decided we would start working our way down Mimosa. Um, and so we, we skipped the Baptist church <laughs> for, uh, for, for obvious reasons uh, and figured, you know, uh, either we'll find some place home or we'll end up at the Sikh temple or the Unitarian place uh, down the road. And, and we, we stopped here first and fell in love with the place. Um, between, uh, you know, between, I, I think growing up, I just assumed that, you know, any, uh, any Protestant, uh, denomination was kind of some varying flavor of what I'd grown up with. Uh, and I had no idea that the variety, uh, out there was, was so varied and different. Um, and we came here, I started in the Sunday school class that's called Open View, where, um, you know, I, I think, uh, at a lot of other churches, there would have been burnings at the stake uh, for some of the for some of the questions that get asked in there. But but you know, any place coming to a church where that was allowed was really eye opening to me, um, and it really allowed me to kind of put my feet in and say, kind of dig in here and say, all right, this is this is something. This is where this is kind of where I can grow. And and you know, here we are, um, and here we are today. <laughs> so it's it's been a it's been a long road, but but it's been. Uh, it's been educational, it's been insightful, and I, and I feel like, um, despite the fact that it was tough a lot of the time, that it was, um, it, it, was, it was overall a very, very good thing, and it has enriched my relationship and understanding of, of God. When you talk about your faith, you know, questions and doubting has been very important for your faith story, but one of the things that we're talking about here is kind of the truths of our faith. What are some of those things that we really hold on to? Um, and so for you, what are some of those truths to your faith that you seek to live out? I, 
I try to limit the amount of kind of big T truths that I have. Uh, I think that that creates a dangerous spot a lot of the times. I think that when you, uh, when you plug those in and say that this is a definite thing, this is something that's unshakable, unwavering, and you have too many of those, what you end up is with this, this monolith that's not God, that's what your kind of conception of God is, and that's what you end up kind of worshiping. Um, it, it ends up becoming this thing that you can't talk about, you can't ask questions of, you can't poke it and prod it, and you can't make jokes about like <laughs> Stephen Colbert was talking about. Um, and, and so I try to stay away from that. I mean, it, it's very, very high-level things. I, you know, I believe that God is love. God wants the good for all of us. Um, I believe that, that we are called to be that love in this world. Um, we are to be reflections of that love. Um, I, I think that, that you've got to realize that our understanding of God changes over time. If you believe that Jesus is the living water, uh, you can't go down and bottle that water. That defeats the purpose. Um, you can't take it and put it up on the shelf. Um, you've, got, you've got to use it there and realize that it you know, ebbs and flows. Um, and, and, and I also believe that Jesus meets us where we are. I, from someone that started in my perspective, I've, I have seen that happen, um, that, that Jesus reached out and said, all right, you take a step. I'll come with you from the other side. Um, I'm also a firm believer that, that we, while being that love of God, are in charge of creating the kingdom. Hmm. Um, uh, and, and that the, the kingdom isn't some far off place. The kingdom has, you know, Jesus said that the kingdom of God is at hand. Um, and that's as true today as it was back then. It's, you know, if, if you talk about physics, uh, there's potential in kinetic energy. And, and the kingdom is in a potential state. Uh, we just need to be able to make that a real, uh, a reality. Uh, and we have the power to do so. Um, it's, a, it's a degree of measure. It's not some future state that's hypothetical and oh, God will come down and make that happen. We are charged with making that happen. Um, and that's, that's one of the big things that, that I try to do is my piece to, to help bring that about. One of the things that um, Stephen Colbert said in his interview was that um, faith can't be argued, that it has to be felt. And yet we still, want to connect our faith with our head and with our heart and then with our hands as we live that out. How do you connect kind of the faith of the head and the logic with the faith of the heart? So in listening to his interview, uh, it made my ears perk up, you know, anytime someone talks about Anselm or Aquinas and, and he having, having studied that in school. And I can tell you when he says that the proofs are boring, uh, they are, they're, they're very boring, very <laughs> tedious. Um, but uh, I think you need that logic. I think you need to apply that logic to understand a bit about God. Um, I also think that, that, I think that faith is a characteristic that some people are gifted with a lot more than others. I, I, I was not gifted with a, a ton of faith. Um, I think that logic helps build that bridge. If, if faith tells you to jump across a chasm, those with a lot of faith can say, God's with me, I can do that. Um, I think that logic helps build the bridge out a little bit um, so that that chasm's not that far of a jump to make. Uh, but as I mentioned earlier, I think that that's one of the places where God meets you. I think if, if I start the bridge on this side of the chasm, God's coming from the other one, um, and we'll, we'll hit a manageable spot where, where that can jump across. Um, I, also, I also think that to really appreciate Jesus' message, um, that you've got to have a, a, a good fun foundational understanding of logic to understand just how absurd a lot of his teachings are. Uh, so I mean, it's so far out there that you know, if, you, if you don't really think about it, you're like, oh yeah, yeah, you're going and sowing seeds, that's, that's really nice. Uh, but to look at it logically, you go, no, the way he's talking about that just makes no sense at all. So you really appreciate, like, how much his kingdom talk really kind of turns our understanding on its head. Mm -hmm. Yeah. The illogical aspects of yes. it all. Yeah. Well, 
I mentioned earlier that, and you did as well, about that you are married and have two young girls and um, work full time. How does your faith then get lived out? These truths that you point to, that God is love and that the kingdom is at hand, how do those get lived out on a daily basis? Um, I, think, I think that overall it's, it's made me be a more inviting person. Mm -hmm. um, having, having done that time kind of stepping outside of the circle, I have a, a great appreciation um, for other faiths, um, I find I find uh, no issue with uh, some of my favorite writers are um, Sufi, which are the um, mystic um, Muslim sect, uh, and and some of their writing is some of the best best poetry out there with as far as they love God, and I I find no issue with reading that and applying that to my own faith. So to be able to look at that, see other faith cultures, and realize that. That, you know, despite the differences, that there is still that push towards the good and that you can still see God working um, elsewhere is, is very, um, is, it's, it's an important thing to see, I think. Uh, in my own personal life, it has helped make me a better listener, um, not having so many kind of, you know, put the stake in the ground uh, truths allows me to be a bit more flexible and see things through other people's points of view. Mm -hmm. um, I, my views can change based on, you know, based on evidence as it's brought up. Uh, and, and I think that, that I think that kind of versatility really helps as well. Um, it, it helps keep uh, conversations going, um, and it allows you to keep learning. There's no point at which you say, "Yep, got it, 100% done. Don't need any more. Don't need to learn anything else here. We've we've got it all covered." Um, there's something new and interesting every day. Okay. Um, the being the father part is a little tough. Um, you know, it, it, w with the kids, you know, there, there's a lot of Bible stories, and some of those that, that you know, I look at and go, okay, that's a good story. Um, that What does that story teach us? Um, whether that actually happened or not, I, I'm not sure. Um, I don't want to impress that on the kids yet. I, you know, I want them to live out their own faith journeys with my guidance, of course. Um, so so that's, it's a fine line to walk uh, with them. I, knowing that both of them ask so many questions, at some point that conversation's coming. Um, I, I know that, I own that, I, <laughs> I dread slash welcome the day um, that that comes around. But I, what I would really like to teach them um, is how to believe, not necessarily what to believe, so that they can have their own stories, um, their, their own beliefs. And, and at some, it, you know, once they're a bit older, we can have discussions about that and learn from each other. Thank you. Well, before I let you go, I'll give you one final moment if there's a lasting word that you want to leave um, with the folks here this morning. Yeah, sure. So I would say uh, don't, don't be afraid to ask questions. Um, you know, there's something out there that most of us have that it's, it sits at the corner of your eye, and it's something that you just can't bring yourself to look at. But look at it. Poke it with a stick. Ask questions. Figure it out. Befriend it. Um, what you'll end up is, with is a, is a faith that is your own. Um, it's kind of, it's the difference between buying something from the store and building it with your bare hands. There's an appreciation that you get when you know uh, that, that what you've arrived at is your own. Um, and, and I think that that's, that, that enriches uh, your relationship. I, you know, my, my, my particular view of faith is, is that, you know, my searching here, it's not for nothing. Um, that there is value, you know, whether I find answers in the end or not, um, that there's value in the, in the search. Um, and, and I think that that's, uh, you know, and I have faith that that's pleasing to God. Okay. Well, thank you, Justin, so much. You're welcome. Yeah. Will you help me thank Justin for being here this morning? Thank you. Well, one 
of the many ways that Stephen Colbert brings in his faith story to his show is through a segment that he calls Midnight Confessions. He says that giving confession is one of the practices of his Catholic faith that he really appreciates, and since he doesn't get to go to church as often as he would like, he misses out on it. And so he asked his audience, would you mind if I take a few moments for confession? He says, you won't tell anyone, will you? And they say, of course not. Well, Pastor Eric Lee has his own confessions to give to us this morning. You won't tell anyone, right? Of course not. Take a look. Forgive me, church, because sometimes I get jealous of new people here who are experiencing Chapel Roswell for the first time. Mostly I get jealous of the Nalgene water bottle they get just for stopping by the connection desk after worship. Forgive me, church, because last year I ate a slice of the cheese when we were making sandwiches for the must summer lunch program to feed hungry kids in our community. Thankfully, I get another chance this year to do it right probably still going to eat a slice of that cheese. You can sign up to help too at rumc.com slash serve. Forgive me, church, because I don't have the whole Bible memorized, and I can't tell you exactly to where to find that verse that you're trying to remember. Yes, pastors Google Bible verses too. Forgive me, church, because I called the bishop of the Methodist Church in Arkansas to tell him what a bad pastor Andrea Cummings is, hoping that they wouldn't appoint her to a church and she could stay here with us. But I couldn't go through with it, so I just ordered a pizza and hung up. Hey, Andrea's last Sunday is June 3rd, and she's preaching. Don't miss it. Forgive me, church. Sometimes when I see you out in public, I turn and go the other way. And I know that some of you do it too. So it's cool. Let's just forgive each other and we'll keep it between us. Forgive me, church, because I told the new Chapel Roswell pastors, Joe McKechnie and Melissa Mobley, that worship starts at 9 a.m. instead of 11 a.m. on their first Sunday, June 24th. I'm just not as holy as some people think I am. Well, that's been our Sunday morning confessions with Pastor Eric. Thank you. This morning, you have begun to really think about what it means to live out our faith. What are the truths of our faith that we know in our head, that we believe in our heart, and then that we can live out in our lives? And I do really hope that you've been thinking about that because we're going to put that into practice right here and right now. You have probably noticed the mirrors that are up at these tables. There are some markers next to them. And what we want you to do is to think about what is a truth of your faith that you are willing and ready to reflect 
out in the world. A truth of your faith that you are going to reflect in this world so that others may see God's love and grace and mercy through you. So in just a second, Arturo and the Silver Bullets are going to play a song. And you are invited to come and write a truth of your faith on these mirrors. So that we may reflect all of us that we have faith. And so we speak and we live it. During this time is also the time when we respond through our giving. There are different ways that you can give back to the church here at Chapel Roswell. You'll see those up on the screens, the baskets at the doors, the kiosk, out by the connection desk. So as the band plays, I invite you to come. Reflect on your truths of the faith and how you can live those out each and every day of your life. Let's begin. <laughs> 